Hello, ladies and gentlemen. In this fifth episode, I'm speaking with Ethan Fisher, ex-Colorado prep star and founder of Life Consequences. As a 28-year-old getting released from prison, I ended up going back and playing college basketball as an inmate of Colorado. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Sitting here with Ethan Fisher, public speaker. Um, went through a pretty big life experience and ended up having to do a little bit of time. Uh, here to share some of those insights that he gained from that, um, and you know what has put him on this pathway of helping youth and really being an advocate for um, teen depression um, and can kind of. I'll let Ethan tell more about his story without trying to take any of that. But um, just wanted to say thanks for joining us and joining me today, Ethan. Yeah, thanks, Buck. I appreciate you making all this happen. And uh, this is another avenue in which I can tell my story and, and possibly help your audience and your listeners. Um, so basically a story of depression, mental health. I started dealing with suicidal ideation all the way back in eighth grade. And as a athlete playing every sport you can imagine, I had this air of invincibility and didn't want to disclose that I was thinking about suicide all the time. And what ended up happening was my parents chased me out to a barn. I had a knife to my wrist and I was getting ready to take my own life and my, my parents stopped me. And after that point, we never discussed it. We, we kind of just brushed it under the rug and, and accepted it for what it was. And we thought it was a one-time deal. You know, back in the early 90s, you didn't talk about mental health or depression because that was taboo. It was stigmatized. And so I skated by all my high school career. I started using drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism. And I skate by my, my high school life. You know, I'm drinking during the days. I'm drinking as a captain of the golf team my senior year. I'm drinking at school. And everybody thought it was just that fun, exciting, you know, fish is going to go play college basketball. Not that big of a deal. You know, we just thought it was part of high school life. And what was really going on is I was masking all my depression. And when I got to school, uh, my colleges, I started to drink in even heavier. I started to get more depressed and more suicidal to the point of intentionally trying to drug overdose for multiple times throughout multiple years. Found myself in front of a train, getting ready to jump in front of that. Um, tried to overdose and kill myself almost every single night when it came to drinking bottles of brandy and vodka at a time and popping pills and Coke. And during that whole time, I was a college basketball player. And I ended up failing out of all those college basketball programs. In my last school, my actually my fifth school, I was out drinking and partying and ended up waking up in a hospital and found out that I drunk drove and killed somebody. And here I am, a 23-year-old. Yeah, 23 years old, thinking that I had you know the world in my palm, so to speak. And you take an innocent person's life because of your irresponsible actions. And I just remember laying in that hospital and I couldn't tell you how long it happened, but I, I laid in there just bawling my eyes out. And I, I had three choices and I talk about these in my speeches all the time. You know, one, I was going to kill myself. That was the easy way out. I was going to take, just end it all. I wouldn't have to deal with the system. I wouldn't have to deal with legalities. I wouldn't have to deal with the responsibility of what happened. Two, I was going to flee the country. Three is when God told me to handle my responsibilities. And ever since then, that moment, I've been trying to be a better human being. So 
you know, how we got connected with the, with, you know, the institution of prison. Um, obviously I had to go and I spent three years incarcerated. I volunteered for the military DOC boot camp. I went to the firefighting program. I took college courses. So I was given a 10 year DOC prison sentence, but I got out after three because I did all that stuff and earned extra good time. And what ended up happening, which is really cool and why my story is so impactful with colleges is as a 28 year old getting released from prison, I ended up going back and playing college basketball as an inmate of Colorado, like never been done before. And here, here I am at my first home games and I've got a parole officer with a gun and a badge waiting to take me back to prison because they thought I was lying that I was a college basketball player. And so I ended up playing two years with the college ankle or uh, ankle monitor on played in college and I couldn't even travel with my team because I couldn't leave my house past 10 o'clock at night. So I didn't get to play in away games. I didn't get to do any of that. And after all that, I ended up coaching for a couple more years and, ended up um ended up turning my story into a speaking career now that's what i do i travel the country and and try to motivate students from depression anxiety drugs and alcohol and you know i get to work with some prison systems too which is one of my favorite things to do each and every year yeah that's awesome that you're giving back like that i can only imagine the heaviness of that man just like you know I've heard the story, but, you know, sitting here and hearing that every time, it just feels like just like, wow, you know, having to go through that and, and, and also being in, you know, in a hospital bed, not knowing your own prognosis of probably at that point, exactly, you know, how you were going to heal or whether you were going to be able to play ball again or not, or, you know, do these things that you loved on top of hearing, you know, wow, I just, you know, ended someone's life. Um, you know, that's, as you said, like, you know, I could imagine that like, yeah, the easy way out, especially if you were already dealing with depression and the suicidal thoughts, like, wow, let's just do it for real this time. Right. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, um, but uh, kind of similar to you, uh, you know, mine's not um, near as drastic as, you know, my sentence, um, but just fighting that going up through towards trial and, and that whole thing, I was like, well, you know, I could easily just take off the Nicaragua and go hang out and surf, right? <laughs> but a lot of time I was like, oh, it's, you know, finally it's just like it came down to the same kind of same things. It's like just own it and and, and deal with it. And um, I made my choice up kind of like you made up your mind and, and God spoke to you. God spoke to me in my own way too on, um, you know, just accept it, own it and and deal with it and, and whatever comes, comes. And with my sentence, as soon as the sentence kind of came, got handed to me, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm a monk for the next X amount of years. Um, I had a seven year sentence, mandatory minimum because of the, the crime nature um, and got out and, and basically 18 months into a halfway house, kind of same as you, just worked my you know, tail end off on doing the right things, created yoga programs, created, created meditation programs, earned that extra good time. And, and was able to move my way, got on the halfway house, got out on ISP, got out of ISP fairly quickly and, you know, still on parole today though. So oh, wow. you know, still fighting, fighting the system. So yeah, I've, I just got out. Uh, well, I haven't even been out of halfway house a uh, full year yet. So oh, wow. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So still pretty fresh for me. Um, 
Well, you know, kind of to take a little bit of the, the load off here, you know, I'd like to kind of just say, um, you know, if you could see any musical artists and sit front row, who who would it be? Who who would you go see? If live or dead? So, live or dead? So the people that know me know I'm a huge hip hop head. Uh, I grew up on rap, so if I could see anybody, and it would be Tupac. Um, he's my fav- nice. favorite artist of all time, and uh, you know he's he's actually you know his albums back in eighth grade were the reason why. I, I really believe I'm still living. Um, a lot of those albums, for some reason, like spoke to me. And and when I was dealing with hard times, it was his words, even though I didn't come from the same lifestyle or anything. It was just something that touched me. So Tupac's my favorite. Um, but I was thinking about this question when you sent it to me. And, you know, I've kind of lived two different lives. Basketball and hip hop have always been my two things. So I was thinking. Well, they go, they go kind of hand yeah, in hand, though. Yeah, so. If I could hang out with anybody <laughs> basketball wise, it'd be Allen Iverson. So it okay. kind of just ties right in with the the hip hop right there. Yeah. Did you ever get to meet Allen when he, when he was in Denver by <laughs> when you're playing? Because that's probably about the same time you were playing ball. I'm yep. Thank you. Yep. So one of my roommates or one of my teammates was actually J.R. Smith's roommate. So I got invited to play with Carmelo. And Allen Iverson yep. and J.R. Smith in the Pepsi Center with just me and three of my boys. They asked it. That's cool. Well, here's you're gonna appreciate this. <laughs> they asked to go do it. It was like 9:30 at night, so I couldn't go because oh. I was on ankle monitor. I was on ISP. Yep, yep. No, I get it. I I, I do appreciate it. Uh, so, that had to be crushing. Oh. You're less like, do I do it? Do I not? Do I do it? Do I not? Right? <laughs> and I. I, I <laughs> I never broke any of the rules in DOC. That's I, right. I did everything by the book. But that was one of those like those moments where I go, this is my idol. This is the guy I've wanted yeah. to meet and play against my entire life. And he's friends with my friends. I, yeah. And I didn't get to do it. And, you know, <laughs> I told people all the time that it was, you know, because I was studying for a final because I didn't want them to understand like the whole set. I, I couldn't. No matter how good I was doing, I couldn't get my parole officer to say, yeah, go ahead and go play with Allen Iverson at the Pepsi Center. You know, they would write off right. on that. So, yeah. but that, yeah, that was. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't believe you in the begin with, right? They'd be like, yeah, right. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. they wouldn't believe yeah, me. They don't, they don't, yeah, they don't. They, they. And so did you grow up here in Colorado? Yeah. yeah. So I grew up in yeah. Fort Collins and, you know, I've moved down to Denver to, to go to my school at Johnson Wales when I was done with prison and, uh, so I've called Denver and Denver area home, you know, for almost a decade now, but I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard lifestyle to beat once you, if you're into the outdoors or just, you know, sunshine, Colorado is hard to beat. Um, so good deal. And then, um, so what, what was childhood like for you prior? I know you gave us the story of in the teens, high school, you know, sex drugs rock and roll so to speak basketball you know living living yeah. the the rock star life a little bit or, or at least what we think we are when we're 16 17 years old and, and invincible um but you know prior to that was is a normal home or your mom and dad still together everything or did you kind of go through a, a rough time what, what? well <clears throat> i think you know I, i've had this question many times and i think i grew up you know, above average in the sense, my parents were always there for me. My dad sacrificed, my mom sacrificed. So I had 
the ultimate family and family support. We grew up, we we never were in need of any anything. We had times where we were poor, but we never needed anything. And my parents worked their tails off to build better futures. But I attribute all my depression, and, I, and I've been writing about it a lot lately for my, my book, but um, I've been key pointing, like when that happened, when that depression hit. And it, it's that middle school where you think about you know, typical elementary kid goes through elementary school and all they think about is a couple friends and, and going to school and having a good time. But when you hit that adolescence and you're, you're, you're for boys, you got testosterone going through your body and your puberty's taken over and you're, you don't know what you're thinking. And I started to care about what other people thought of me. I was a small kid. I was scrawny. So I thought everybody would pick on me and I, I was popular. I was in every sport. I was captain of every sports, but you know, your head, is your worst enemy. And I started picking on myself and it just got to the point that it was so bad that I didn't want to live. And, you know, looking back on it now, it's like, dude, your life was not that bad. You had a pretty good life. And here you are thinking the worst things in the world. And that's why youth is so important to me because they don't know what they're thinking. They don't realize like this point in time in middle school or high school, it doesn't matter. I don't even talk to my high school friends. I don't even care what they're doing. Right. It's that self-talk though, right? I mean, it's like, it's uh, it's amazing on how young that can start to affect you on that repetitiveness that you tell yourself on, you know, if you're starting to be like, man, I'm not big enough or I'm not good enough or, you know, they're picking on me because of this or I'm not wearing the right thing. I'm not in with the in crowd. And you start to, you know, drive that train and that train starts to drive you then. And then next thing you know, you're on that vicious loop. And and, I mean, for me, I grew up, parents divorced when I was young, mom remarried, grew up on a ranch in Texas, moved to Arkansas, became a little bit of a problem student in, in high school just because of going from Texas to from a football, you know, pretty good career or high school but prior high school and going into high school thinking that that's what I wasn't doing Texas you know Texas football <laughs> but and then going to Arkansas at 10th grade it was kind of like stepping backwards and I was just like I don't know I just became I wasn't a problem so I came bored with school really is what it was I ended up going to the military but that kind of same thing is just like you know, I can remember thinking like, what, what did I do to go deserve this to go to Arkansas or, or this, whatever. And it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the adults in my life wanting to go to be somewhere else. But, you know, the whole change and, and all that, I was just like, you know, fitting into a new school and, you know, getting, you know, haze, so to speak, from other students just because you're new and from Texas and this, you know, that whole thing. Um, so, I can appreciate what you're saying there, that self-talk. And that's something that I, I've, you know, still think about today. And that I learned, you know, while incarcerated, as I joke around people that, you know, listen to the podcast, know I kind of call it my state funded vacation um, on that. I have learned that's the deep dive into meditation and the mind and how the brain works and how the mind works on, on our self-talk and on, um, what we consistently think about and what we do, how we are acting in our heads, how that can really play out. And I'm guessing, you know, for when you're younger, 
that you know everything's going through extremes your body's changing the testosterone's hitting so those extremes are starting to hit real hard so that felt like i'm guessing crushing to you so you know i'm glad you made through it you know so you know one day you're you're living the life college girls drinking having fun you wake up on the hospital bed found out you killed someone and you talked about you know the first thought I'm going to just kill myself. This is dumb. Uh, I'm done with it. I'm over. After kind of getting through that and, and you know, and, and realizing and you said you had the God moment that you're like, I'm just going to own this. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. What was that feeling like? I mean, was there like just a huge amount of relief that came with that and, and, and acceptance and, and, and peace that came with that, with that acceptance or? Uh Really, it was more of like a light switch. Like, I just remember laying in that bed and I'm going through all these emotions and and I'm thinking all these like horrible thoughts about life. And it was like, just in a matter of a split second, uh, you need to handle your responsibilities. And like, it just was like a light switch went off. Now, I don't know how long after the moment took place or what actually happened or the time frame, But I just remember going, I can't run away. I can't, I, I have to, I have to live with this. And that in next eight months, I, and I hardly ever talk, I don't talk about this in my speeches at all, but that eight months on bond before I was getting sentenced was one of the worst eight months of my life. I was more suicidal. My dad had to take a knife from me. They had me on suicide watch. I was on more prescription pills than a pharmacy, like Lexapro, Wellbutrin, Seroquel, Lithium, uh, all that all at once. And I, I was completely gone. But my defining, I would say the defining moment and change in my, in my forward thinking was honestly when I got to boot camp. Boot camp, DOC boot camp up in Buena Vista was the best thing that ever happened to me. It it changed me. Like I didn't have any meditation. I didn't know how to meditate when I was in my cell that first time. So I was reading and writing. I read 72 books in the first like three months I was locked up. Like I just right. devoured everything. But when I got to boot camp, that was when that switch just said, okay, you're going to plow through everything. Because that first couple months in prison, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I was positive and like, I'm going to get through this, but let's be honest when you're sitting in that cell at DRDC and you don't know where you're going to go, what facility you're going to end up at. And if you've never been locked up before, I'm sitting in a cell going, this is my life. I'm going to have to do like the next 10 years of my life. I'm surrounded by criminals and like, what am I going to do? And if it wasn't for boot camp, I don't know where my life would be. Because I did that boot camp gave me structure and it gave me routine and it gave me discipline to follow through with everything that I've hit since. It built that extra resiliency in me. But if it wasn't for for DOC's boot camp, I don't know if I would be the same person I am today. Even though I know I had that moment with God in the hospital bed, I didn't have that same type of discipline. And right, you know, that was the best thing yeah. that ever happened to me. It got you got you out of your head and gave you a routine and discipline that you could start to follow and, and gave you a pathway to say, okay, I can start to see this now, right? Like versus 
sitting in a cell and just reading devouring books. The same thing with me. I like for my sentence was a mandatory sentence. So I went straight to County and Sutton County for 90 days waiting on sentencing, um, you know, in an eight man cell with shared toilet, open shower, open toilet bunks lined up against each other and, you know, just crazy conditions. Um, and just same kind of same, just devoured books, you know, that's like, well, you know, and then got out of that into the DRDC and it was just like, you know, okay. Everyone says that this one step better, but in DRDC um, through some just things that happened, I ended up in solitaire for a week um, with, you know, only getting locked up and, and the red jumpsuit versus the orange and being paraded with, you know, handcuffs behind my back and ankle bracelets on and put in the dog cage for an hour every day to be outside. And that's the only interaction I had with anybody else. That was another dude that was in the dog cage and the only sunshine we got and the rest of that was, you know, locked down and in showers had this kind of the same routine. And, um, you know, it was, it was a crazy, crazy experience. And this, I remember thinking the same thing, thing was like, wow, you know, what did I do to land myself into this kind of situation? Um, and, and, you know, and it got real and, and heavy and, and kind of the same thing is just, you know, started this devouring the books and then got out of DRDC, went to uh, Cell House 5 and, you know, that craziness there, you know, that whole three-story old 1800s jailhouse straight out of natural born killer scene, people throwing stuff out the cells and screaming and hollering, you know, cups rattling against the steel bars. It's like, wow, okay. You know, didn't know what to expect next. And then ended up at Arkansas Valley, you know, getting paraded across the yard as, as the fresh meat, so to speak. And this, everyone kind of stopping and looking and, and you're just going, okay, how's this going to be? How's this going to play out now? Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's all that mindset thing. It's just like, well, I'm going to continue to, march forward and do the best I can. Like you said, I just kept that positive attitude being like, okay, I'm going to do the best I can do the best I can. And things just kind of slowly unfolded. I, I didn't, I didn't get the boot camp, um, but uh, I connected with a group called the prison yoga uh, program and they came down and did a, uh, a yoga teaching and donated a bunch of mats. And I got to, you know, become the yoga instructor because of that. So that became my job there. And then from that created a meditation program, but, you know, pretty amazing experience as far as, you know, that kind of thing that, you know, changed my life of, you know, just being able to have that discipline every day of, okay, trained yoga every single day and did those things. And I was just like, well, I can handle this. Right. I mean, you know, that's, there's worse, way worse time, ways to do time than, than, you know, that. So, I know I felt pretty blessed and privileged because of that, um, you know, and since this time and you've gotten out and you've gone through this, this system, you've become, you know, a public speaker and a public figurehead for um, getting the word about teen depression. You know, how has that affected you on your path? I, I know that the, what happened has done that, but now getting up and being that, that outspoken about this condition and, Something like you said, when you were growing up was taboo. And the first time you had the incident, it was like the family just swept around the rug. And, you know, it was like this kind of crazy thing that wasn't supposed to happen. Right. And never got talked to about again. Now, and now here you are a very public figurehead that's going into schools and sharing your story and, and all that. How, how, how has that 
helped you grow or affected your growth personally? Well, it's another way of holding me accountable. Um, you know, this being career means everything to me. I put my heart and soul into every speech I ever give. And when I first started, it was all about drunk driving prevention. Here's the consequences to your actions if you drink and drive. But over the years, I started getting all these kids to come up to me and saying, hey, I was dealing with this or I've been dealing with this. And I actually got to speak at my old school at UNC. And that was the first time I ever really talked about depression in my speech. So here I am at um, Butler Hancock floor and I'm talking to all the student athletes. And I talked about my depression for the first time because I was on all kinds of medications at that campus. When all the athletes came up to me and said that they were dealing with something as well, and these are Division One athletes, I said, ooh, I need to talk about this more. And so over the years, I've started to implement more and more stuff about my mental health and depression because I know these kids are dealing with this, but they don't know who to talk to. And over the years, it's just obviously grown to a whole different level. But I bring up this story almost every time I talk about this because of of what you just asked with that question. I did four events in Arizona and I, after four events, I had 250 kids reach out to me via text and uh, email talking about depression or suicide, or they were 13 years old and they had been on meth. I opened up this door for these, this community. So imagine answering 250 emails over a two day period, three day period of these kids just pouring out their hearts and souls to you because they have nowhere else to go. That is that is the point that I've grown because of individuals like that who have changed who I am and what I'm doing. <clears throat> As you can tell, like as soon as I start talking about it, I get like all amped up, but the, honestly, it's, it's, it started as a me, 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 you know, Oh, I've, I have this story. It's really cool. I get to speak to schools. That's my job. But the last couple of years has changed to it's, it's about these kids. It's about what's going on in their life. And for some reason, my story, they they can pull different bits and pieces of what they they resonate with. And from school to sports to academics, I mean, it's all there. And somebody grabs something and they run with it and then they feel comfortable to talk to me. And that's that's the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah. So you've really progressed from, you know, the, the DUI prevention into the teen depression conversation. So you really started that. That's how it's metamorphosed from you on, on, okay. Yes. It's, it's, this is my story and it's DUI prevention that will change your life and you can never take a life back. And, and those things are terrible, but you took it one step further and really why, why was I even out drinking that night and, and thought I would get behind a car. Right. So it, you kind of have taken that deeper dive. Um, which, you know, that's, that's, that's great. Um, you know, what, what, what impact do you hope that you would make from this with your life and, and the project of speaking to the kids and, and into the community? And I know, I mean, obviously just starting the conversation is, is amazing, especially around these things that were at one time taboo. So yeah. I mean, my hat's off to you on that. So congratulations in just getting out there and doing that, because I think the more that people can talk about it, understand it, the less it is taboo and the more that it's, it can be stopped before it's a, a, a situation like yours and, and it can, people can just be like, okay, I can, 
you know, handle the, the, you know, it's part of life grief. We all have things that we lose and we grief and we can have a moment of depression and we can do these things. And if, but if we don't talk about it and someone's young and hit, like you're saying, testosterone hitting or hormones hitting and not understanding or, and can't talk about it, it, you know, that's a slippery slope and that slope can just get slippery, slippery. And it's a, a downward spiral. Whereas, you know, out being able to talk about it and then these kids connecting to you and then you being able to respond to 250 in three days. I mean, I would have been frazzled. My brain would have not, I've, I, I have kind of a similar thing, not near that much with just being thoughtful on how to respond to the guys that are reaching out with artwork and different things. And it sometimes takes me, you know, a couple of days just to get my head around how to respond correctly because of, I know how important some of those communications are when you don't have anyone else to communicate with. So, you know, how you dwell into that 250 in the few matter of a few days or even a week. I mean, God bless you, man. That's that's incredible. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, so after my first time speaking at Florence, uh, I ended up having like 150 letters from all the, the guys locked up inside and they all took the time out to 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 write write me, which was amazing. And because I know being incarcerated, how much letters meant, I I sat down and promised myself that I was going to handwrite every single one of them back. And I did. And the next year I did the same thing. And so I have two envelopes with stacks of hundreds of email or uh, letters from inmates because they right. it would like that was so cool. And then to take the time to be able to do that. So I applaud you for doing it. And the more you do this, it's only going to get greater. But right. if you're going to do this, stick by it because those guys, when I went back the following year and the ones that were still locked up, like they go, dude, we know you wrote back individually to me because you were talking about my kid or what they, you know, I responded exactly. And they remember that for a whole year. So it, it means a lot. That's awesome. Um, well, yeah, so uh, yeah, I mean, the whole write, handwritten letters, things like you were just saying, going back and forth and into that, um, it definitely means a lot. So yeah, I, I definitely try to take the time to think about that. And some, I mean, I, I don't try to get too deep into some of the things, but just I know just, you know, a few lines and, hey, you know, thanks for sending this in and here's some more information, you know, reach out to me anytime and and at first I was going to do it on, uh, you know, on the computer because my handwriting is not very great, but I was like, no, I know what it means to get something back handwritten. It means a lot more. So I definitely take the time to do that. So I, I get it. So you, um, in the earlier part of this recording, you mentioned, um, a book. So is that what you're working on now? And, and, and is the speaking career, is that what kind of got you started thinking about the book or, or what inspired you to, to do the book? And, and, you know, Talk, talk a little bit about that. So, so I've been writing poems and rhymes uh, almost every day of my life since probably 99, 2000. And so I've always wanted to write. And a lot of people don't know this about me. I actually was writing with guys who were hip hop, who were performing on stage before like Tech 9 and stuff. And I'd never rapped and never did any of that. But I've always written raps. And, you know, you can call them poems. So I've always wanted to write, and then that turned into everybody asking me, well, where's your book? Here you are speaking, but if you look at the speaking industry, nine out of 10 speakers all have books. I'm one of the very only like 
consistent book speakers that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't have a book out there. So I'm doing it all backwards. Everybody else has got a book first and then they speak and I just decided to speak and, and go from there. And so that's with this whole quarantine. Um, it's forcing me to write because normally I'm on the road speaking. I had 13 college events during the month of April from Illinois, Louisiana, Texas, and Colorado, and they all got canceled. So I, I figured, I know, well, yeah, so <laughs> I might as well sit down and finish this book I've been planning. And, um, you know, there's no, there's no excuse not to, you know? Yeah. Got it. Got it. What about, um, you know, and then did, did, did someone inspire you to do that? I mean, like you're saying you've written the poems and, and whatever Did someone kind of say, Hey, you need to put together this book or who inspired you to do that? Was it, you just kind of uh, came to the realization yourself or, I, I mean, I kind kind of came to that myself, but um, you know, our mutual friend that introduced us. Uh, I'm actually in Tommy Spaulding's New York Times best-selling book. Uh, it was the number one leadership book in the country, and right. so I have a chapter in there with 18 of the most influential people he's ever met, and we're talking CEOs of 24 billion dollar corporations. And then you have little old me coming straight out of prison, and he writes right. about me. And so Tommy was the first one that really ever introduced me to the idea of, of how big your career could be based off of having a, a, a New York Times bestselling book. And so he's kind of the, the, been the backbone in that aspect. I've always wanted to write one, been told to write one, but being friends with him and him being an author was kind of the, okay, I need to do this because he's willing to, to write about me and his book. That means I do have something I need to put on the page. So that's kind of where I'm at. Gotcha. Cool. Very cool. So Tommy, so is he, uh, is he kind of helping you along a little bit? Is he mentoring you on, on how to put the book together or going to help you with the Ford or anything or no, he doesn't even know I'm writing it. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Well, maybe yeah. not more now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll, he, he'll know about it as soon as it's done, but uh, right. you, know, you can kind of tell him one to try to do things on my own. So yeah. I've been, I've been trying to do everything solo and uh, it's, it's difficult. It's hard, yeah. but it, anything that you do, if it's, if you're willing to work at it, you can make it successful. So you make it happen. If you, perseverance, as they say, you know, the, the persistence and perseverance, if, if you keep up and keep dusting yourself off, keep getting up, get knocked down, keep getting up sooner or later, you'll get it done or you're at the top of the hill. So you just got to keep marching on. Yep. Um, yep. So, you know, kind of, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about this and we talked about some musical artists. If, if you could spend time with a musical artist or a personality, yeah. um, you know, who would you choose? I mean, you, you go see Tupac, would you hang out with Tupac or would it be somebody different? If you actually got to like hang out, go do dinner or go shoot hoops with Alan or what, yeah. who would it be? What, and what activity, what would you do? So I think currently if I could probably hang out with any person it would probably be lebron james um okay. just because i i'm a basketball fan obviously and but right. the things that he does for the community like the dude is just doing amazing things and you know all the kids from akron are getting college scholarships to go to school so he's doing all these incredible things using his basketball platform and i think it would just be really amazing to be able to sit down and talk to him about all these ideas and things that he's got going on because he's living that life. Right. Pretty cool. 
Yeah, real cool. He is. He's definitely. I mean, someone that's taken his celebrity and, and done more than just being a celebrity about it. And, and you know, um, so that's you know, I I love those kind of stories that people are you know, willing to give back to their community, helping the kids out, you know, doing those kind of things. So that's a that's a good choice. That's that's pretty cool. Parting wisdom. You have anything to say for people listening right now? I mean. I mean, other than don't drink and drive, I don't mean that lightly. I just, I mean, you know, that's part of your story. But I mean, you got like, uh, you know, the anything that. So obviously, the don't drink and drive. Be be aware of your choices and decisions because that's my entire speech is on choices and decisions. But the one thing that I do want individuals to know, especially with this platform that you have, Buck, is. If you are a man dealing with mental health and you're depressed or anxious, especially right now, losing a job and you're in quarantine and your family's struggling, but you don't know what to do, do not be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. Like there are resources, there are other people who are struggling. And at any given point in time, there are 20% of the population is dealing with a diagnosable mental health issue. And if you actually talk to a lot of counselors, they'll say it's closer to 90% because everybody goes through something. Nobody's right. life is perfect. No. So anybody listening, I don't care what age, what what sex, what race, demographic, but if you are struggling, go find help. There are people like Buck and I who will answer the phone or answer an email. There are people out there who will who will seek to help you. So just just ask for help if you really need it because that's all you need to just stay alive. Yeah, and and yeah, I, that's a, that's a big one. I, I, I haven't thought about that. And I'm glad you brought that up. You know, don't go it alone. I mean, it's, and it's not, it's not weak to ask for help. You know, it's not in it's, um, and you'd be surprised on how many people open up and be able to be like, Hey man, I can share that with you. I, I've not been that far from exactly where you're at right now, or I've dealt with similar things before in the past or, or maybe I don't know exactly what you're doing or I haven't dealt with that, but I, I can definitely listen and be like, hey, man, it's it's probably not as bad as what you're thinking right now. And you're definitely right in this time right now of April 24th, two o'clock in a, uh, uh, mountain time, year 2020. It's middle of a pandemic. The whole world is in crisis mode. I mean, so you are not alone at, at, at in having thoughts of, unsecure, not knowing the future of what, you know, what's going to hold. So don't hold it in and, and pop and, and, and do something strange or don't try to self-medicate as, as you, your story goes to tell better than anyone's, you know, it's, you know, definitely reach out and ask for somebody. So I, I appreciate you, you bringing that up. That's, that means a lot. No, thanks Buck. I appreciate you for having me on and, um, Hopefully we can help a lot of individuals who are, who are watching and listening. Sounds good, Ethan. I appreciate you, man. If uh, anything in the future, I'll reach out. If you got anything for me, let me know. And uh, I look forward to staying in touch, man. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks, Buck. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. Art for Redemption is brought to you in partnership with Radio Red Rocks. This is your host, Buck Adams. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, please contact us through artforredemption.com. Art for Redemption is an e-commerce platform for incarcerated artists. 
We are currently collecting art from artists nationwide to be showcased in the first ever coffee table book for this genre. Check us out at artforredemption.com.